Hello, everybody, and welcome to In the Doll World, a show spotlighting the passion and the people of the doll community. With your host, Georgette Taylor, former vice president and co-founder of Big Beautiful Dolls, and Tammy Fisher, owner of Curiosity Dolls and Collectibles. Join us as we talk to and feature fascinating new dolls and doll artists, from avid collectors to repainters, redesigners, and all the people in between as they share their journeys, give us glimpses into their processes, and what propels their passion and drive that help to keep the doll world moving and shaking. Here are your hosts, Georgette and Tammy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on In the Doll World. I'm Tammy Fisher, and I'm here today with my lovely co-host, Miss Georgette Taylor. Hello, everybody. Hey there. And today's special guest is Mr. Doug James. And hey, Doug. Hi, Doug. And <laughs> Doug is one of those doll makers and um, who's known for lots of different things. Doug, as far as um, Mel Odom's doll, Gene, Doug was one of the people who made clothing for Gene. Then Doug made his own line of dolls. He's made um, Willow and Daisy. He did the S series line of dolls and the CED dolls. We're excited to have him here. I've been collecting Doug's dolls for many years and nice. I'm excited to have him. Thank you for joining Thank us, you. Doug. So Doug, we're gonna start where we normally start. And that is, will you please tell us your doll journey? How, how all this began? How did you start with collecting dolls and then making dolls? Making Just them. tell us. Yeah. Sure. Well, um, I think it's kind of interesting in the, because we're all part of the, the really relatively brand new concept of adult doll collecting. Mm -hmm. I remember um, back in the day, I hate using that term, but you know, because <laughs> I feel like my mother, you know, back in the day. Um, I remember I was working at the Juilliard School and a friend of mine who I was working with there in the costume shop was a big vintage Barbie collector. And at one point he said, I'm going to a doll show in New Jersey. Would you want to come? And I thought, well, that sounds kind of interesting. I've never, you know, I have no idea these even existed. So we went to the doll show in New Jersey. And I don't know, you guys probably remember back then, you went to doll shows only to look to buy vintage dolls manufactured for children, because mm -hmm. that's all there was. You went to a doll show to look for vintage Barbies as an adult collector. You looked for vintage Madame Alexander dolls mm -hmm. as an adult collector. You looked, some people looked for vintage beautiful antique dolls, French fashion dolls, porcelain headed baby dolls. You might look for Tiffany Taylor or, um, you know, there were all sorts mm -hmm. of dolls that we would, that they would go to look for. And I started learning about all of that. Um, but the, the point is every single thing we went to look for was a doll that had been manufactured as a plaything for children. And right. we had, as collectors, we had sifted through to find the best of all of those, the things that really spoke to us and searched for those things and tried to find ones that some child hadn't abused beyond <laughs> relief. You know, a Barbie right. whose hair hadn't been chopped off with blunt nose scissors and uh, <laughs> those kinds of things. We all looked for that sort of thing. Um, and going to one of these doll shows is where I met Mel Odom, 
and we became, you know, we became doll show friends, you know, and we would get together occasionally in the city, but everybody's always, especially at that age, everyone's always super busy. So, you know, we would get together occasionally, mostly see each other at the occasional doll show. Well, Mel finally told me about his idea to do an adult fashion doll geared specifically for the adult collector market. No one had ever really done that before. It didn't exist. And uh, because he knew I did costumes, I was in the costume industry, he asked if I would be, if I would consider being one of the designers for it. And I thought, that sounds kind of interesting. And especially the idea of designing period clothes and movie costumes just, you know, was a great concept. So, uh, you know, we kind of, Mel had a very specific idea of, of what he wanted this doll gene to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talked to us a lot about what it was. And we kind of, uh, we did most of the, uh, there were three of us that designed pretty much uh, only just the three of us for the first at least couple of years. Um, and the interesting thing about Gene was that Mel really was, uh, and now if you talk to Mel, he might have a different memory of this. So this is just my memory <laughs> of this. Um, Mel was a Barbie collector, a vintage yes. Barbie collector. And so if you think about it, Gene was sort of a 15-inch Barbie. She had the original Jean uh, body, very similar to Barbie, a little bigger, straight mm-hmm. legs, straight arms, mm-hmm. jointed at the sh- shoulders, at the hips, and at the um, neck. As a fashion doll, everyone was used to that for, for Barbie. That's what Barbie was. And Barbie was simply a fashion mannequin, which is kind of what attracted all of us to Barbie originally, were the spectacularly beautiful clothes all made in Japan in the, the early 60s. Um, so that was the concept of Jean. Again, just a beautiful fashion mannequin. And um, that kind of rolled along. And as Jean kind of rolled along, they eventually um, decided they would add a knee joint. But um, I also remember people were very used to Barbie and to the original Jean, and they liked the fact that there wasn't that there weren't joints. Mm-hmm. People at that point, all the all the early collectors thought joints were ugly. Mm-hmm. Now joints had existed before, but with playline dolls. Okay. In the 50s, there was a doll called Dolican that mm-hmm. was completely jointed. That was a wonderful doll. As a matter of fact, it was many parts of that doll were inspiration for our CED dolls. And there were other dolls that had various joints, but they were all playline dolls. And uh, some of the joints were more successful than others. And, and, that, and it hadn't kind of bled up into our area of high-end adult fashion mm-hmm. doll. So um, let me stop you oh, there for yes. a sec, because I did not, in your introduction, I did not, I did not mention that. And that's really important. Doug is one of those founding fathers in the fashion doll industry in that Doug articulated the modern fashion doll. Now, as he said, you know, Barbie had the the head and the shoulders and the the hip. Doug came in and did the wrist and, you know, he did more um, articulation. So 
Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I didn't say that beforehand. Oh, so right. let me, no, let me. Yeah, I I just wanted to make sure that the people who are listening understand why you're talking about joints because that is significant. That's your yeah big that is significant yeah yeah. You're, that's that's your big contribution to doll history. Yes, and I want to make it clear. I know on our website. And and we kind of did this through, um, at one point, Pat Henry, through her fabulous magazine, uh, FDQ, um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of listed us as the, if not the first pioneer, one of the early pioneers in doll, in really fully articulating dolls. Mm-hmm. Now, it was a very quick su- succession. Because as I said, right at the beginning, people didn't really want joints. They thought they were ugly. I remember being at doll shows when they had, when Gene first introduced just a knee joint and collectors being like their hair catching on fire over it. You know, <laughs> oh, that joint is so ugly. Oh, I only buy, and, and if you know, I don't know if you remember this, Ashton Drake only may put the knee joint on dolls where it wouldn't show if they were in long dresses or somehow in pants. We didn't do very many dolls in pants at the beginning. It was, but there were a lot of ball gowns and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, because they were afraid that collectors would not like the joints and collectors were very vocal to us about saying, no, we think they're ugly. We don't want them. So, but they were slowly creeping in. And as I said before, in the past, playline dolls had had joints. But I think adult collectors were a little not sure of how they felt about those dolls. And now that there was finally a doll geared right toward the adult collector, the they started to look at the Playline dolls a little bit more with disdain. We don't need to collect that anymore. Now we have something for ourselves. And then, and right at that point, in really rapid succession, Tonner came out with Tyler Wentworth. And I think Tyler, like Gene, I think started out straight legs, straight arms, simple jointing. Tyler very quickly got a knee joint as well. Um, right in that, in that uh, time period, and this, this all was within just a very few years. Mm-hmm. I now think, oh, my God, how did all that happen so fast? <laughs> um, uh, Laura Meisner and I were, had both been working on the Gene Project. She actually approached me and said, why don't we do uh, an, a, a project of our own? Because we understood that Gene was Mel's. Gene would always be Mel's, and we were very happy to, to work on it. It was, you know, a real privilege to be able to work on something kind of so groundbreaking and to have the freedom we had to design. Because uh, for the most part, Mel would give us a general idea of something, or maybe even uh, Joan Green from Ashton Drake would give us an idea of something she'd like us to do. Like at one point, they just asked me if I would do a cowgirl. So I did, I think it was called Shooting Star. And But that was really their, you know, their whole thing was do a cowgirl, so, <laughs> okay. which was great, because that, that gave me very little restriction. Um, but we, she said, well, let's do something of our own that's completely different. And that's when we began working on Willow and Daisy at the same time we were doing, um, uh, doing work for Jean. And we developed Willow and Daisy on our own. Once we got uh, the concept ready, 
um, a whole set of outfits, um, a lot of the graphic design and everything. We began shopping it to companies and it went to Knickerbocker, who we were a little, they had promised us by this time, Jean, uh, this was about this, maybe by the second or third year of Jean, and everyone was used to at least Jean having knee joints. They now were used to the knee joints. And Knickerbocker promised us that that the very first Willow and Daisies would have, the at the very least, knee joints. And I wanted elbow joints as well. And they promised us we would have that. And then when production happened, they realized it was too expensive and they just didn't do it. We were very disappointed at. And then after really, after the second year of Willow and Daisy, Knickerbocker declared bankruptcy. We had you know, mm. problems with them. We were, um, uh, and that's when we um, decided to go off completely on our own mm-hmm. and we started our own company. I would just want to say something quick about Willow and Daisy. Willow and Daisy are important if you look at the history of fashion dolls and the way they're dressed. Willow and Daisy's, um, their wardrobe was spectacular. Thank you. And you still see people putting Willow and Daisy clothing on newer dolls. We've seen Joseph Zecharis and his new line of the, the Glamour Oz dolls sometimes have Willow, Willow and Daisy outfits. They're, I have very, I have a, I'm a lover of yours, Doug. <laughs> and the, <laughs> growing again. Doug. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So just for the audience, because Willow and Daisy were made a while ago, a lot of people might not know about them. Mm-hmm. You should check them out. Willow and Daisy, I mean, just spectacular, their, their clothing. Well, yes. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about Willow and Daisy, which I don't know if many people really kind of either know this or right. there's no reason why they would. Um, we were very, very particular with Willow and Daisy that, that we wanted to bring, we didn't want there to be one lead doll. Uh, the whole concept of uh, through, you know, through our, our more modern doll concepts, there had been the concept of Barbie. Mm-hmm. And Barbie is the lead doll. Right. And she eventually had friends who were always lesser characters. You know, not that they were degraded or anything, but they were always lesser than the lead doll. Mm-hmm. There was Jean, who eventually had friends and eventually had a, bra- a black friend. But Jean was always the lead doll. I particularly, Laura and I both, wanted there to be the two girls together, one Indian, one Caucasian, and they were, there was no lead doll. They were both Mm -hmm. absolutely equal. And the storyline that they were brought up as sisters, their fathers owning, co-owning a big department store in London, that was sort of the subtle message we wanted to send, is that just sort of a... um, there isn't any one doll more important than the other one. The white doll isn't more important than mm-hmm. her eventual black friend or her eventual Hispanic friend or her eventual Asian friend. That right out of the gate, both of these two characters were like sisters and mm-hmm. equal. And then mm, we continued great. that even more 
into the CED line where, again, we want a concept that wasn't, um, oh, this is a doll. Her name is Gladys, and she's white and glamorous. And she may have, down the line, some friends who, mm -hmm. you know, who worship her because she's the best. Uh, we wanted to find a concept that would entail a group of women of all different types, one of which is not more important than the other. Mm. And yeah. that was, those, those were the concepts behind both Willow and Daisy and CED, although we never really talked about it very much. Yeah, I think it was clear from the standpoint of a collector, uh, and mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a compliment. I was on a friend's page and someone had posted pictures of Constance. Mm. And someone said, they were saying, oh, I'm really sad that, you know, he's not, you know, they're not still doing these dolls. And I said, well, we're going to be interviewing Doug pretty soon. And I, you know, I'll share that information with him. And someone said, Constance is the most beautiful facial mold ever made of a doll. You had somebody who felt wow. that strongly about Constance. We yes. had a sculptor who did, the same sculptor did Constance and did Colin. Oh, Colin, yeah. <laughs> She's gorgeous, too. Colin is gorgeous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, was, it was just a young sculptor at our factory in China. And the the problem with factories in China is um, they they want to be helpful. They want want to give you what you want. But it really is a factory. And mm -hmm. we ha he just happened to be one of their sculptors. And we had, we had several photographs of, of beautiful um, women that, that we wanted to base both Constance and both Colin on. And we gave the factory, you know, like, oh, here's a front view. Here's a side view. Here's a back view. Here's a view of the top of her head. Here's, a, you know, we were very specific. And this one, he just happened to be the young man that, that they gave this assignment to. We, I, I'm not even sure if we, we kept asking his name and they, they didn't really want to tell us because they wanted to kind of keep it because uh, sculptors and their workers would come and go. They would work there for, at that factory for a while. They might get an offer of a little bit more pay at another factory and a week later, they might just not be there. Mm. And they didn't want us to think that, no, we want him. And, but we started to, his work was so beautiful. When wow. he brought in his original sculpt of Constance, which oddly enough, I, I'm, I think you'll find this funny, before we did Constance for the Willow and Daisy line, Oh, Constance was going to be their their black friend Aja. Okay, and he brought in this sculpt. We gave him references and stuff, the things to work from. He brought it in, and I sort of said, "Oh, this is way too beautiful for Willow and Daisy." <laughs> Not okay, Daisy didn't deserve beautiful, but Willow and Daisy were a little simpler and cute and a little bit more, not cartoony, but Constance just had that real, like she could speak to you quality. Yes. That, yes. And I immediately said, oh, we're saving her for something else. 
Yeah, Willow and Davy. Yeah, Willow and Daisy do. Yeah, she really has to. Yeah. She needs something else. And and we we were a little on shaky ground with Knickerbocker at that point anyway. Mm-hmm. So I thought I I definitely don't want to somehow waste this. Goal. Right, right. Yes. And then be done in a very small number and then disappear. Mm-hmm. Yes. We were able to get the same sculptor to do the Colin doll. Okay. And after that, he sort of disappeared. Oh, wow. uh, Laura and I would go back to the factory um, just a couple times before she passed away. And then I went back to that factory for another like oh, nine or 10 years. Every year I'd go back to the factory and we could, I could, whenever I would ask about him, they'd just sort of wave me off and say, oh, no, <laughs> nobody knows where he is. And we have mm-hmm. lots of other good people. Don't mm-hmm. think about him. Okay. So, Anyway, so who sculpted the other the other CED dolls? They were just people in that, they that were factory, because um, they were. Uh, I think the same gentleman did Claire, and he, okay, and he did Kara um, um, as well, because they okay. were all done at the same time. Okay, and brought Constance okay. in from having held her over. Okay, so we start CED started with with Claire, Kara, and Constance. Okay. And that, and we kind of held Colin back, mostly because we couldn't afford to do four runs of dolls at that okay. time. And so we said, okay, we're just going to introduce the first three, but with our concept being that uh, it's CED, so any doll with those initials can we can feed in mm-hmm. any character with those initials anytime we want. So we knew that that the within another year or so we were going to introduce Colin. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. It's a cool story. Very yeah. cool story. Oh, that's oh, really good. Great. Yeah. You know, you go over these Love things it. in your head and oh, is that really boring? Or is that No. 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 So so you we talked a little bit about you being the first person to articulate the dolls. Yeah. In the you know with the fashion, I mean in the manner that you did. Yeah. So how were your articulated dolls taken? Because they were not just articulated at the knees. How did people feel about the elbows uh, well, and wrist? And that was a, that was kind of a problem because, as I said, we were doing it and we realized that people were not particularly open to to jointing. <laughs> right. Now, as a kid, I also played with G.I. Joe's. I thought G.I. Joe's were great. And um uh, just because you could pose them in any, so I also kind of wanted these dolls to have a little bit of GI Joe in them. Uh, so we, I think the we when we went to the factory, we had, a, of course, all that was available were very old playline dolls. So we had some joints were based on Dalekin joints. So we had a Dalekin. I think the knee joint was based on a 1950s ballerina doll. Mm. And the wrist joint was based on something like a Tuesday Taylor doll. And they, we had samples of each joint. And then once we showed them to the factory, that all had to be engineered. Right. The molds and everything, which was mm-hmm. you know, very costly and expensive. Um, and the whole time, we were not quite sure how the dolls would be received. And we did the slightly bigger size because... Uh, I don't, we were also, we were also doing some work for the Madame Alexander company. 
and both Laura and I, I designed three sissies for Madame Alexander. Laura did two. And we kind of decided we really liked the scale of the sissy doll, the Madame Alexander sissy doll. Um, we didn't like the dolly child quality of the giant childlike head, as charming as it is. And, but, but we kind of liken the CED dolls more to that doll. I mean, if mm -hmm. there are several things that you, several other dolls you could kind of liken the CED dolls to, but in terms of size and playability and the just slightly bigger size, like jeans are 16 inches. Uh, CED dolls are a little over 19 inches. It's mm. really only three inches bigger, but it's amazing how we knew that people would go, oh my God, they're giant. <laughs> oh, I could possibly have these huge dolls. They're three whole inches bigger. Oh my God, they won't fit into my doll room. Um, so, but we just felt that, that you could get, we could get more detail in the clothes. Yeah. They were easier to handle and to dress. Just that little bit bigger size just gave us a whole lot more. And we thought it was really worth it. I don't know if people even remember, but it, we spent a huge amount of time trying to figure out how to make gloves with individual fingers. And we did. Mm -hmm. The CED wow. dolls, every doll with gloves has gloves with five individual fingers. Mm -hmm. And wow. I can't even, I'm not sure if I can disclose our secret. <laughs> Don't disclose your secret, it's your secret. <laughs> we brought in this shaman from the, from <laughs> He waved like special dust <laughs> over the machines, and <laughs> we wanted the and the gloves are just tiny. They're handy. yes, they are. You know, yes, only slightly bigger than a jean. Mm -hmm. um, and I made patterns for the gloves, but the mm -hmm. fingers are tiny, tiny, and we wanted them out of a stretch fabric, of course, mm -hmm. and so that they would fit kind of tightly. They weren't because the one thing that drove me crazy were the. Uh, to this day, are the oven mitt evening gloves. Yes. <laughs> you know, you get a doll yes. with a beautiful evening gown, and she has long white gloves, and the hands look like oven mitts. Yes. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll put that secret out there. We we gave them the pattern. I made, created a pattern, and the stitchers couldn't possibly, um, with Wooji stretch fabric, go around a machine and create those perfect little tiny fingers. I, but they had embroidery machines. And I said, what if you program the pattern shape into one of your embroidery machines, mm. put two layers of the fabric in, and just have the embroidery machine go around and around and around and stitch glove shapes, then all your factory workers have to do, <laughs> all. <laughs> cut them all out and turn them inside out inside out mm -hmm. that ended up working beautifully wow. yeah they're beautiful that and I, I i also love that yeah there are these teeny little hands but they have you have rings for them yes we do yes they all many of them had rings yes with stones we tried to get uh -huh. my precious stones at one point and it ended up being like, oh, well, the bill would be $100 a ring. <laughs> well, maybe glass is fine. Glass is okay. Yes. Glass just as well. It's fine. So, 
your dolls were released in small numbers. I mean, I, I have some dolls that were in batches of 25. I mean, very yeah. small numbers. Yeah. Tell us about why you did that. Well, all along, I felt that for anything to be truly collectible, it really can't exist by the thousands and tens of thousands. Okay. Um, the mark of any, the value of any collectible item mm -hmm. is condition, um, uh, physical attractiveness. You know, do, is it something that people look at and immediately think, oh, that's beautiful? And how many are there available? As a matter of fact, at one point, uh, I was talking to Mel and I was a little concerned because I started to realize that they were making a lot of jeans. They were making jeans in quite in bigger, as it got more popular, and it makes sense, as it got more popular, they were making more and more and more of them. Uh, and I was a little concerned about that. And I said, you know, are you sure? And he kind of said, well, you know, it's a business. We have to, mm -hmm. you know, we have to say, yeah. if we can sell them, we're, we're going to make them. Yeah. Um, I, and that makes sense too. You know, different people have different takes on, you know, as business, you know, yeah. and how, yeah. I mean, if you sell a thousand, make a thousand, and you sell a thousand, you make a lot more. Yeah. But if you're looking at collectability, it makes, you know, it's like, yeah. what what is your goal? If your goal yeah. is to create a collectible and to make fewer, yeah. With us, we were dealing with factories and factories have minimum numbers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Factories mm -hmm. minimum number is I think our factory's minimum number was, um, and we were always trying to do the minimum because again, I said, I don't want to flood the market with, mm -hmm. I don't want, you know, I, I don't want there to be a million of them out there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the whole point is that these are, that these are special. Um, but our factory's minimum was, I think always at least, 200 and something maybe mm, two okay so mm -hmm. in general a lot of the dolls we would do in runs of 250. now what i would do is there were certain dolls that i would um in order to as you said in order to have a few pieces that were there are only 25 of this one and there are only this many of that one i would say take if we had done 250 of a particular constance, I would pull 25 of that doll out and I would undress it, keep the outfits, we would sell the outfits later. And then through various means, there were you know a few people, sometimes I would do it myself, dress it as a new doll, maybe touch the paint up, redo the hair a little bit, and then be able to offer the collectors a smaller, more special edition of there are 25 of these. It was in a mm. lot more work because mm -hmm. that required taking each thing out one at a time, undressing it, redressing it, restyling the hair, touching the face paint up, um, doing things like that. Um, I had found a factory that was willing to do smaller numbers of clothes for a very short period of time. And and so that's how I was able to do those, those very small numbers. Mm -hmm. um, but most of the time, we're all of us being uh, producing things through through big factories are kind of stuck with the concept that um, there are just minimum factory orders. They just won't they just won't do anything uh, with our S series resin dolls. 
um, because the resin dolls are so difficult and expensive, I was able to do uh, right off the bat, much, much, much smaller numbers. So our S series dolls are generally, there isn't a doll that we've done over 20 pieces, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, yeah, because the, then I'm dealing with a resin factory. All they do are the resin dolls. Mm-hmm. So what I, are they? Sorry. Oh, go no, go ahead. What are the CED dolls made from? The CED dolls are that bodies are hard plastic. Oh, it's hard plastic. Okay. I thought they were plastic. resin. Okay. And the hands are in our rotationally molded vinyl. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. That's why the hands are a little more pliable and mm-hmm. a little softer. The heads are a little more pliable, but the bodies are very hard plastic. Okay. okay. And yeah. And that involves, uh, you know, where resin molds, the mold making process is not quite as, as intense because it's silicone molds with plaster support forms. Mm-hmm. So okay. to create those is not wildly expensive. It, it has its cost and they only last a certain amount of time. Things like the CED dolls are injection molded plastic molds. And those molds were in the $30,000 to $35,000 price range to create. Mm -hmm. Once we'd had the engineers engineer all the parts and that sort of thing. Um, But however, once you've done that, ideally, you can infinitely keep mm-hmm. creating manufacturing dolls. right more dolls right yeah mm-hmm. you make sense okay mm-hmm. wow. you know what i was curious about doug i wanted to find out uh, i know you said you were designing clothes when did you start designing clothes for dolls and did you did you have dolls when you were younger was that something you 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 know that you did and it just transferred into you know you're doing it for all for other people or I, how did that start I, out i kind of did when i was when I was a kid in the turn of the century, it was, um, and, and of course, as we know, it was not really looked upon well, mm-hmm. you know, for boys to have dolls. And, but I was right in the right spot. I, rem- I remember as a kid when the first Barbie came out. And I remembered thinking, that's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it was the clothes were so detailed. And it was an elegant, sophisticated, sexy doll. It wasn't cute. It wasn't being cutesy. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It seemed very adult to me. It right. Seemed, mm-hmm. and I, to this day, I think that early Barbie is incredibly adult. Those clothes are amazingly sophisticated. And I hooked into that right away. And I think at one point I might've sort of had a secret Barbie that I wasn't, you know, that I hid under a floorboard or something. (laughs) Because, you know, as as a boy, you just didn't have those things. Right. And um, I do remember when I was really little, I must've, I must have expressed some interest in dolls because I remember I have one grandmother that that I knew. Um, she passed away when I was about eight, mm-hmm. and uh, my all my other grandparents had had passed away before I was born. Um, and she was she had been born in England in Cornwall, and had come over here as an adult, 
and my father had been born there as well. And so um, I remember her giving me a doll for Christmas. And thinking back on it, I thought how special that kind of is. Because back then, you wouldn't give up. You'd die before you gave (laughs) a boy a doll for Christmas. Right. Yes. And, you know, and that somehow she had clued in on that, that that's something that I would really like was I, it's only just as an adult, I've kind of thought, wow, that was, that was kind of amazingly sensitive. And I, all I remember, it was a rubber kind of baby doll. I was going to ask if it was a baby. Pink satin dress. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that's sweet. And even as being like, a, I was probably six or something. And at the time I remember thinking, oh, this is cool. And isn't that nice? But this dress is tacky. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so you knew you was a designer then, you know. I think I must have known I was a designer then. <laughs> that is um, great, though. But yeah, I re- but I remember that very specifically. And then in college, I studied really to be an actor. I was I was an actor mm. and a director for a while. And I, um, after college, I went to apprentice at a theater called the Williamstown Theater Festival in Massachusetts. That's kind of a little bit of a prestigious theater. And I ended up in their costume shop. Mm. And apparently mm-hmm. I had some ability I didn't even realize because I was just an apprentice. And I remember one of the first things I did was they said, and I think part of this too was <laughs> that they, everyone else was kind of lame. <laughs> I think it wasn't that I was so great. I think it was, they just happened to have a lot of losers <laughs> this summer. And, and I was the least bad of them. <laughs> I did was, um, the the terrific guy running the the who was in charge of this first show said, "Okay, you're going to make this hand painted silk chiffon dress for Blythe Danner." Oh wow! And I said, "Who is Gwyneth Paltrow's mother?" Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I said, "I don't know how to make a silk chiffon dress for Blythe Danner." And he said, "I will show you. I will teach you. I will show you." you're going to do it. And I did it. And not only was it, it was, um, we were doing a play called Ring Round the Moon, a very romantic French kind of romantic comedy. And Blythe Danner was supposed to be playing this very young ballet dancer. And the dress they talk about in the script as looking like the smoke of bonfires. (laughs) ethereal and beautiful. It was all painted silk chiffon. And Blythe Danner happened to be pregnant with her son at the time. And when they began rehearsals, she looked pretty good. She didn't (laughs) look pregnant. By the time the show went to open, she looked like she was hiding a watermelon under her dress. And so Part of my making this dress wasn't just I'm making a dress for the first time. Mm. I'm making a dress and we have to hide her pregnancy. Wow. So that was something else I learned from, you know, just Mm -hmm. this trial by fire. Um, Then right after that, I decided I would move to New York. Other, some other friends were going and a contact at 
Williamstown had said, uh, someone I'd worked with that summer said, if you need work when you get to New York, um, go to the Brooks Van Horn costume shop and use my name and tell them I recommend you. And I did. So I got to New York. I went to Brooks Van Horn. And for the first three months, I made elephant blankets for the Ringling Brothers Circus. Wow. <laughs> Specifically, I saw mirrors, little tiny plexiglass mirrors on the words, on the letters that spelled out jumbo. <laughs> okay. Of a giant elephant blanket. Wow. And uh, that just started my working in, in costumes. Costumes, yeah. And uh, that sort of thing. And then I, I, from there, I went and got a job at Juilliard School and was working in Juilliard. Now, I was kind of going off back, and I would, was doing acting jobs, and I was kind of coming back and forth. And when I would come back to New York, I would go back to doing costume work, kind of like a waiting tables job. Mm-hmm, right. I actually tried being a waiter once, and I was so bad. <laughs> I asked to come back after one night. And so I have huge <laughs> respect for waitresses and waiters. I <laughs> So, because um, I know how hard it is. Um, but that kind of started my costume thing. Okay. And then I met Mel. Nice. And, uh, Mel was the one that suggested, oh, would you be interested in designing clothes for Jean? And that's mm-hmm. what started all of that. Wow. wow. That's, that's a cool, so cool story. Yeah. That is so cool. I'm happy yeah. you asked that question, Georgia, because I was yeah. like, oh, you're doing Jean, of course. <laughs> Thank you for asking that I question. I wanted to know how that came about, you know, and how, yeah. he, how his love for dolls came about, you know, or if he had a love for dolls before he even started that process. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that's it's cool. Funny how, you know, when you're, uh, when I was young and going to college and everything, that all kind of, I just didn't think about it. Right. You know? Yes. Like, I didn't, especially at that time, it was well before Gene even happened. And as I said, a friend said at Juilliard said, do you want to go to a doll show? And I said, what's that? (laughs) Yeah. I had no idea people even did that. You know, as soon as I went to the doll show, I was like, okay, I'm hooked again. (laughs) Yeah. All right, I'm back into it. And by they and, sucked me back in, huh? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember reading, meeting Ro- a very young Robert Tonner at those mm-hmm. early shows. Wow. He had, cool. he had begun doing, um, he had been hand-making porcelain versions of his fashion dolls before mm-hmm. he was able to, um, you know, start a factory and do mm-hmm. dolls and things like that. But um, it was just this, this wow. real hotbed of creativity yeah and, uh, people excited to begin this this um collectible thing that didn't exist yet yeah that's the cool thing about it is that it didn't exist then you know yeah. and so it's like you guys kind of all all kind of came together in a, in a sense without really knowing each other in finding then finding each other and creating this huge you know uh, uh i guess division of you know being huge collectors and just yeah. taking that to another level so i think that's pretty cool yeah. and and creating yeah. dolls that people can really collect that's that's yeah. the cool thing about it i love it yeah yeah that's the great. whole concept of not being stuck only searching for old child right. line playline dolls that we could you know settle for that and hoping to find ones in good condition and and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing mm-hmm. you know really having other adults create things for 
another adult, you know, it yeah. is just made all the difference. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. Okay. So one of the things, Doug, that I wanted to find out from you was that I know when you were talking about um, articulation and how it was not something that was accepted or people didn't like it, even just having a knee articulated, why did you feel it was important for you to one, articulate your dolls? And then I think the other thing is why did you feel it was so important to just create the dolls that you created without a sense of people liking them. Right. Um, Again, I think it's that thing where I've always felt like I should do something that filled a a hole, not try and do what everyone else had already done and was already proven to be popular. I, I saw that there weren't dolls that were articulated and that seemed to me to be a space that needed to be filled Mm -hmm. and having uh, and I think part of the thing was uh, one of the things that fascinated me as a kid were G.I. Joes. Mm-hmm. I love G.I. Joes. I would like pose them in dance moves and right. know, I would just and the whole concept, the the relatability to it, um, as much as all of us as fashion doll collectors think of the dolls as fashion mannequins. And, you know, we're we're not exactly, you know, taking the dolls and going, hello, Susie. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. And, you know, we don't do that. But still, there are some people who are. Well, there's some people who are. nothing wrong with that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but even so, I thought they, there's a satisfaction to having more interaction with the doll than dressing it, setting it on the, on the table, and that's really all it can do. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. It's range of of um, expressing itself is that limited. It has to stand. It has to have its arms either down or up. Mm-hmm. Um, it can move its head a little bit. I just thought because I, I remembered those um, play sessions with GI Joes and how creative that was and how creative I felt with those. And I think I thought there's a hole that's Mm -hmm. it's that's not there right Um, and the other thing the reason the CED dolls look the way they do that the joints aren't as um as mobile as many of them are now or as GI Joe's were was because of that time we were in where people didn't like the look of joints Mm -hmm. so we were trying to walk that tightrope right in how do you make the joint as clean and as subtle as possible? One line across the elbow, one line across okay. the mm-hmm. okay. one line around the wrist, you know, one line at the waist in a place where you wouldn't really notice it. How do we do that and give it the most flexibility we can give it without making joints that are G.I. Joe clumsy? And of course, with G.I. Joe, nobody cared because it, it's an action figure. And, right, right, right. And now with, you know, with joints for uh, resin BJDs and things like that, we see the joints quite a lot and they're, mm-hmm. the joints are quite visible, but we're now used to accepting We're used to that. Right, exactly. Yeah, so you wanted, you wanted to make something that was flexible, but also acceptable at the same exactly. time. So like you can, can, you can kind of, yes. Mm-hmm. Between how do we make it as posable as possible, but still... Uh, placate the people that don't like the look of joints. Right, right. And we 
we spent a lot of time trying to go figure out how well this joint will allow the elbow to move here. It won't allow it to move there. Right. But mm -hmm. It looks good. So this mm -hmm. is acceptable. And this is better than it was, you know, than before that. Right. Mm -hmm. So exactly. um yeah, so that's that's how we come came to the jointing and that particular kind of jointing. Interesting. How many how many articulation points did you have when you first started? In the CED dolls? Yes. We had uh it's jointed at the uh at the neck, at the shoulder, at the bicep, at the elbow, at the wrist, at the waist, at the hips and at the knees. So and like I particularly knees. didn't put an ankle joint in because I thought number one, they're fashion dolls. I think legs and ankles are really pretty. And I thought this doll isn't going to wear boots and flats and things. It's always going to be in heels. Mm -hmm. And we're going to often see the ankle. And that's where I just didn't think an ankle joint would give us anything. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. <laughs> that makes that sense. Give you that much articulation to make it that satisfying. I know a mm -hmm. lot of dolls now do have ankle joints. Right. And that's great. Um, it's just at that time, in addition to people mm -hmm. not really being fond of joints, I thought this particular joint would give us a whole lot. And by not having the joint, it just made a much prettier line down to the shoe. Right. You know, from a, okay. a dress from the knee line down to the shoe was just uh, having that unbroken line was worth it. Nice. And I think that the bicep joint is really a different one too. Yeah, it that allows the arm to spin out it and in. Yes. So I thought that that was a great, yeah. I, I, yeah, I really think that was, that a, was a, a great much, joint. Uh, that was very much um, inspired by, a, I think GI Joes have a very similar. Yeah. Okay. Only because GI Joes have a bicep muscle. Mm -hmm. When the joint spins out of line to the muscle, then you have a weird, you know, thing where it goes off. And we made a, tried to make a point of making at that point where the bicep hits, making that very round. So when it spins out, you never have a ledge. You know, it always maintains a nice smooth line. Okay. Wow. Which is That's something great. we thought about. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. I love yeah. it. Well, yeah. thank you for that. What's, What's your plans in the future? Are you going to make any more dolls? I know. Well, I do have, uh, I do have a project that I'm just beginning. Oh, cool! Um, I can't really talk too much about it. Okay, that's okay. But we're excited to hear you're doing something. It's a very small project. It's not like anything I've done before. Okay, nice. Uh, and yeah, it's still fashion dolls because my my. My um, my focus, I think, is always on basically on the, the fashion, on the mm -hmm. fashion aspect of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it's uh, I'm just sort of beginning uh, work on on it. Um, nice. Oh, I I kind of excited. A little bit with um, with my sister passing away mm -hmm. and yes. being part yes. of our company and the. Um, and lots of things kind of just kind of put me back and, and with everything that's been going on. I mean, right. the COVID thing, um, yes. um, <laughs> and it's just enough to create a little 
stress and makes you want to just kind of go into your house, close the door, nail it yeah. shut. Yeah, it was shut. <laughs> and um, yeah. your doll room and <laughs> cover yourself with all the dolls <laughs> and lay there for a month. <laughs> no, I, I need you know, one of the things that we tend to ask, and I'm not going to ask because you've already answered it. Um, we ask our people that we interview, are you able to make a living with your art? And you explained, you know, I've had decades <laughs> of living, you know, making a living as an artist. Yeah. And we, we asked that question because we really want to promote the importance of being able to make a living at your passion. Yeah. And we live in a society where art is seen as something that people do. You, you have hobbies or whatever, but yeah. you don't make a living at it. So that's one of the things that we are super excited about doing is, letting people know, yeah, you can, you can make a living mm-hmm. as an artist. Well, one yes. of the things I've, I've, a couple of times I've spoken to like young groups of, of you know, young graduates and things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always stress is um, it's great to have, to know what you love to do and to have, uh, to have an idea of where you want to go. But it's also a good idea to allow yourself to be flexible in terms of where you end up. I would never have thought that I would end up doing costumes. It wasn't something that I even knew I could do. And, but when the, I was going to be, I wanted to be an actor and, and a director. And I did do a certain amount of that, but I did it for a while and realized I'm scraping by and I'm always having to do, and I was lucky enough to fall into the costume thing as, as I said, my waiting tables job. Mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. a certain point, I kind of said, you know, I have just got to give myself the, the um, okay to say, this isn't, this isn't really going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Let me just, I, but the costume thing does seem to be going somewhere. Let me let me do that. And mm-hmm. still, I felt like I was still being creative. I was still mm-hmm. doing something that I knew that I could do, but I, I wasn't, um, I was giving myself the ability to be flexible enough to, to shift into something that had presented itself to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I always say to kids, you know, if someone says, well, we need this, do you think you can do that? It's always a good idea to say, well, I'm not sure, but I'm willing to try. Right. Yes. Right. So That's important. I, I will try and learn how to do that. Yeah. Um, I, can't re- I can't remember how many times I said that back in the day. You know, I, I don't know how to do that, but I, I can figure it out. I can learn how to do right. it. Right. And, um, uh, and also the thing that I, I don't, you know, if you're a doctor, then of course that's all-consuming. If you're a lawyer, then of course that's going to take all your time. But for those of us that are more artistic, there's nothing wrong with with doing something that makes you money while you're doing something that makes you happy and and balancing as many of those things as you can as long as they they mm-hmm. as you're you're surviving and being happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's great that's advice. Good. That is really yes. good advice. It's true. Yeah. The other thing too, I think that what what um, what I like to talk about too is the fact that 
there are so many different avenues, right, of even being in the doll world and being a designer or being a creator, you know, that people don't, I, I don't think they see the bigger picture of them mm -hmm. having a job in or having, you know, a, a successful career in if they figured, oh, well, I can't create a doll. So they don't look into other possibilities of, you know, mm -hmm. the other areas that you can actually do and make money and be successful in that arena. Yeah, you know, yeah, so the, so the the wig makers and the clothes makers and the clothes and the designers makers and the hair and, uh, makers and yeah, yeah it's just and the repainters, like, just accessories and things. I mean, one, yes. one of my favorite things was for the CED dolls doing furniture, doing the little tables. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, my favorite thing is is trying to cram as many accessories <laughs> as I possibly can. Yes, uh, so we did um, a Constance doll called Antiquing. Uh huh, and that is one of my favorites because there are two, uh, and the factory did an unbelievable job. Two miniature porcelain reproductions of um, Roseville pottery that came with that doll. Yes, they, they're beautiful. They are, Those bases are beautiful. Incredibly accurate, small, beautiful reproductions of Roseville pottery, mm -hmm. and the doll had, you know, a. a a beautiful platter and a vase and she had a shopping bag and she had you know all kinds of finally i think they had to just slap me down with a fly <laughs> stop adding all those accessories yeah and christmas lights had, christmas lights came with her christmas lights and, and christmas lights yeah christmas yeah lights. yeah beautiful beautiful vintage box of christmas lights and the graphics oh that's so cute so fabulous i scanned them in and photoshopped it all and and made the and put the ced logo into the thing and and turned that into the the accessory box to come with that doll yeah beautiful just thank your, your dolls are just beautiful yeah thank so cool. you yeah. very cool well i always say it's the little i'm really detail oriented and mm -hmm. it's it's i always say it's the details that it's the details that get me and so I think it's the details that get other people. Just, you know, the yes. little thing you might not even notice, but then when you do it, makes you go, oh, look at that. Yes. That's what I think really makes something special. Yeah. Yes. And That's I try true. my best to include that kind of thing in anything that comes, you know, out of here, wherever here is. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, we're certainly looking forward to your your new venture and well, uh, I will I will stage now it's it's a very small little personal thing mm -hmm. yeah and it's not like anything I've done before and but I I'm it's one of those I kind of decided a long time ago uh, I would have several people say well don't do that because this is what people like right now mm -hmm. I'd say, well, I don't really want to copy someone else and change it a little bit just because that's what people like right now you know yeah and that's not that doesn't seem like that's you. If that was you, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't have made dolls that were articulated because yeah. yes, the exactly. Time, they so, didn't like those dolls. So I think that I'm going to do it. As yeah. I said, I'd rather I'd rather fill what I see as a whole. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, there there this sort of thing isn't available in the market. Mm -hmm. So let me do that rather yeah. than follow a popular other thing that well that's already there. Yeah, <laughs> people already. Mm -hmm. have, they like it and they've got it. So, yeah. you know, I might make a few dollars by kind of copying it and throwing it out there, but but I 
I'd much rather see something new that isn't out there yet. And that's great. That. And so we're going uh, when you make your new item, mm-hmm. please come back and I interview. Will. We will be so excited to talk about your new. Yes. Yeah. Because we've got people and who, like I said, I was in a, a room talking, you know, a chat area, talking to people and they were talking about Constance. You've got people out there who are waiting, waiting for you. So they're excited about Doug James dolls. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. So people will just be very excited to hear what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, you guys are really good. You asked just the right questions. And oh, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Doug, yeah. for being in yeah. the doll world with us. Oh, thank We're you. We're so excited to meet you and so excited to hear about your stories and your, your beautiful dolls and the designs that you create for them. It's just so, yes. yeah, very, um, very historical in all the things that you've done. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Really and if people want, want to reach out to you, um, they want to know something about you, do you have a, well, you said your web page isn't really. The web page is still there. Okay. Um, and our email address is just jdjinternational at aol.com. Okay. jdjinternational, all one word. Yes. At aol.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And so okay. We're, we're looking forward to future interviews. And this has been amazing. Thank you. Thank yes. you. All Thank right. you. You stay safe and healthy yeah, out there. Okay? I will. You too. Both Insane. Well. Insane. Okay. <laughs> Yes. All right. Take care. Okay, love. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to In the Dawn World. Me and Tammy really hope that you enjoyed the show. Please don't forget to share our podcast with other doll enthusiasts such as yourself. And if you would like to leave a message on how you enjoyed the show or you want to suggest any guests that we should interview, as well as share information about what's happening in the doll community in your area. Please know that you can reach out to us at georgette.inthedollworld at gmail.com and or tammy.inthedollworld at gmail.com. Also, if you want to see some of the photos we will be posting of our guests as well as the dolls that they talk about on the show, please visit www.inthedollworld.com. And until next week, add a little play into your life by collecting a doll, sharing a doll, or giving a doll a home. Until next week, thank you again for listening to In the Dollar.